kids, I brought back my favorite stuffed animals to help us in our uh, little story for you. So I'm affectionately calling them Bunny and Ellie. So Bunny and Ellie are going to help us today uh, in a little story. It's the uh, Bunny and Ellie show. All right, so I want you to imagine, and you can watch, um, Bunny and Ellie here. Imagine they're hanging out in the playground, just having a good time, and Bunny, she looks super sweet, but she's kind of got a mean side that you don't really know about, and so she says to Ellie, Ellie, you're kind of big. Are you big-boned? And what's that thing on your face? That's a really big nose that you have, and why are your teeth sticking out? Why don't you have a cute little nose like mine? Look at my cute little nose. What's wrong with your nose? Now, Ellie is very sad because those were kind of mean words that Ellie said. Now, what, 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 what could Ellie do in response to Bunny, uh, Bunny's mean words? She could, I don't know, be mean back. Well, Bunny, you're tiny, and nobody wants to pick you for their basketball team because your shot can't even reach the hoop. I'm big. I can dunk. Can you dunk? Ellie could be mean back, or Ellie could be like, well, look how big I am. I'm just going to whap you with my foot. Well, neither of those responses would be great. I mean, Ellie was made very sad by Bunny's words, maybe even angry, because of those mean words, but Ellie could have responded differently in her anger. She could have said, she could have told Bunny, Bunny, that really hurt me and I'm angry at you, but I still want to be friends with you. Can we talk about this? Or maybe Ellie, in her anger, cries out to God and says, God, why, why is Bunny being so mean to me? I, I love her as a friend. Why does she talk to me that way? What's going on? Kids, this little picture that I described with Bunny and Ellie, it's just a, a little picture of something that everyone of every age has to deal with. Sometimes we get hurt by what other people say or what they do, and we get angry as a result. And kids, I don't know if people have said this to you clearly, but it's okay to be angry. Last week, we talked about how it's okay to be sad. And this week, I want to say it's okay to be angry. When you're angry, usually it means that something is wrong, that maybe someone said something or did something to hurt you. Or maybe even someone didn't mean it, but what they said embarrassed you. Or maybe they pointed out something that, that made you feel bad, that you had done something, and in response, you got angry. There's nothing wrong with feeling angry. It's really what we do with those feelings of anger um, that can be hurtful to others. If like Ellie, when, someone, when Bunny said mean words to her, she, she hits back or she is mean back in return, then God doesn't want us to do that. God doesn't want us to, to be mean back or to, be, to hurt back with our, with, our, with, our, with our fists or with our feet. God wants us to let the other person know that their words hurt us or their actions hurt us or let God know. God is always listening. God wants us to cry out to him and he's not, he's not afraid of our anger. 
And he, he wants to hear our cries even when we're angry. He's always listening for that. And maybe it's even more important to know because sometimes we are the ones who hurt people or we are the ones who, when someone hurts us, we hurt them back because it kind of feels good for a little bit when we hurt someone back. But God says, whether we're the ones who's hurting or we hurt someone back in return, that if we admit it to God and to the person and we confess it to God, that he's always ready to forgive us because of what Jesus did on the cross. So again, I want you to remember, it's okay to be angry, that we have to watch what we do when we are angry, but that even when we do something wrong out of our anger, that God forgives us through Jesus' death on the cross, and that he sets us free from that to be able to be um, better kids who can respond uh, in loving ways and inviting ways to other people and in our relationship with God. So thanks for tuning in. Um, Hope you'll continue to listen in, or maybe your parents will let you go. But we'll dig in more into today's passage in Psalm 77 that talks about crying out to God. So kids and adults, really the main point today is a very simple one. It's cry out to God because Jesus. Cry out to God because Jesus. And today's passage really does fit kind of rather neatly into these two points of lament and remember. And, And today is lament and remember part two. Verses one through nine can really be summarized by that verse one, I cry aloud to God, this expression of lament. And then verses 10 through 20 uh, can be exemplified with this, these, these, uh, these words, I will appeal and I will remember. It's, a, it's that remembering part of what, of what God has done for us and who God is. So just a little bit of context. This, again, like our... Uh, a psalm of lament last week, it is a community lament. And it's, it's seemingly broadly about God removing his fa- uh, favor from his people because of their unfaithfulness. And yet, we, as you heard it read by, by Fred, and I really appreciated the way that Fred read it because he read it with such a sense of, of uh, personalness. Well, that's probably a better way to put it. Because this is a very personal lament. Uh, that you can hear in the way it's, it's described. And it, it is this sense of where each person grieves and owns his membership as a part of God's people. They're grieving personally for their part um, in the sins of the people. And there can be many applications for us um, because we are a part of a lot of different people groups. We are a part of our immediate family we're part of our extended family. We're part of a local church family. We're part of a, a denominational family. We're part of a, uh, you could say, a city people group. We're part of a state people group. We're part of a national people group. And we can be a part of an ethnic people group. And so this community lament can come in lots of different directions based on what we are lamenting over. As an example, uh, just two years ago, our denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, voted to repent of racism in our denomination's history. Now, this was certainly not a unanimous vote, and there was plenty of heated debate on both sides, um, for and against, debating whether or not that uh, a denomination should repent of sin of racism. Nonetheless, in my view, it it, it is a good step for our denomination and pass with a majority, two-thirds majority. 
And so I think that was a good thing for the denomination to recognize on a community level, on a corporate level, that there was a sin that we needed to repent of together. Now, with what's going on in our country, I've heard many of you in One Ancient Hope have been having conversations at home with your spouses or with your kids or with your coworkers or your friends. I know just one of my kids recently asked me, who is George Floyd? Such a simple question raised some really good discussion to follow. And I know that even for Amber and I as an interracial couple, that uh, we've had even much deeper conversations about race. And it's a journey for all of us, right? There's no such thing as arriving on this. And I don't assume that our relatively small congregation has the same views on race. But a grace-filled conversation with one another is important, even if it is difficult to do. I hope that we continue to do so. A helpful resource uh, from our denomination's own struggle and response is, what, uh, is a report that it came out with from a, an ad interim committee. So it's the report of the ad interim committee on racial and ethnic reconciliation. If it's uh, a document you have not read before, which I wouldn't assume that you have, um, there, I think it could be really helpful. There's so many different opinions out there and there's so many articles you can read, uh, but I think it's hel- helpful to hear from our denomination's theological perspective speak into these issues of race and racial reconciliation. And if you're interested in reading it, and it's 73 pages of really uh, both practical things to consider, but also theological um, digging into, exploring into these issues. And it'll be posted on our closed Facebook group uh, for you to, to, for your bedtime reading, if you're interested. Today's community lament is written broadly. Again, right, it could cover so many different scenarios, can cover so many different number of sins that Christians or a group of Christians can repent of in their unfaithfulness to God. And so even as we dig into it deeper, may the Lord apply it to your heart accordingly by the power of the Holy Spirit. In this first section, verses one through nine, again, as I mentioned earlier, this, this, the first line, verse one, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me, just sets us off on this note that this is a psalm of lament. But it paints this beautiful picture, which is why I p- picked this psalm, this picture of, of crying out to God, both in public and in private, crying out to God into the, into the dark night, stretching out to God in weariness, uh, an, an insomniac in the struggle that they're facing, and crying out to God with such honest questions that verse 7, 8, and 9 lay out, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? And are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? These are just very raw and honest questions that the psalmist is crying out to God. A definition that I'd like to give for biblical lament is this. Biblical lament is to grieve as those in relationship with a loving, good, and sovereign God. Literally, I just came up with that myself, so feel free to pick at it, but I think it's solid. Biblical lament is to grieve as those in relationship with the loving, good, and sovereign God. I heard a sermon recently by one pastor who defined it a little bit differently, which I like too. He said, biblical lament is to grieve feeling helpless and yet not 
hopeless. Because indeed, God is the one who gives us hope in the midst of situations that feel overwhelming, that feel hurtful. But there are psalms where the psalm does not end with any hope or contain any hope, seemingly only anger and sorrow. And yet those psalms are still a cry out to God in lament and grief and anger in relationship with the loving and good and sovereign God. And I think that is what the Psalms teaches us more than anything, that we are in relationship with God and we can cry out with great honesty because we are in relationship with the loving, good, and sovereign God. If he was not those three things, we may not feel safe to cry out to him. But because he is loving and good and sovereign, we can cry out to him in our anger and our sorrow. When we look at Psalms of Lament, we we do see that the primary feelings, although we can describe many different feelings in the Psalms, but the primary feelings in Psalms of Lament are anger and sorrow. I was taught unintentionally in my household growing up that my anger was not permitted. And for that reason, I myself am a journey on um, being acquainted with anger in my life. For that reason, I also probably struggle with speaking with the same empathy for people who do quite overtly struggle with sinning, sinning in their anger. There are people who have experienced anger much differently in their lives than I have because perhaps of traumatic abuses or persistent injustices in their life. The last couple of weeks in my sermons, I've repeated this phrase, anger clouds, grief clarifies. Anger clouds, grief clarifies. And I want to make just one slight adjustment because I think it's me missing something a little bit. I would say anger only clouds and grief clarifies. And I stand by this statement, and it's a bit of a generalization, um, because I think it's a useful phrase, hopefully that sticks in your head, to teach us not to live in anger, to explore deeper feelings than our anger, and to give permission to ourselves to grieve. I think often it is easier to just stay in that place of anger rather than explore perhaps the deeper grief that lies behind it. I think anger only clouds, but grief clarifies is also helpful in a time where anger can be celebrated as a virtue against injustice without considering how we might hurt others in our anger. God does not permit us to hurt others out of anger, even if we are rightfully angry, rightfully angry against injustice for the sake of others, rightfully angry at how we have been sinned against. Hopefully, in a very simplistic way, my little parable of Ellie and Bunny illustrated that. God calls hurting others out of anger violence. And violence does not justify more violence. No, anger is not wrong or dangerous. Anger is a feeling we have that reflects a characteristic of God himself. God's justice and love exist together, and in fact, they define one another. You cannot take one without the other. And anger is not a sin, though we are warned not to sin in our anger. The feeling itself is not sinful. It is what we do or say out of our anger that can be sinful. Anger can be very useful. It is a sign for us that tells us 
something is wrong. When we are angry, we must acknowledge and recognize that feeling of anger and ask ourselves, what is wrong? Have we been hurt? Have we been wronged? Have we been exposed of our own sin? What feeling lies beneath the anger? Anger can point us and direct us to the answer. And I hope you hear in in this passage that God welcomes your cry out to him honestly with your sadness and with your anger. God welcomes your lament to stretch out to God with your hand all day and all night without wearying, searching for his answer as you are in relationship with him. Do you allow yourself to do this? Do you allow yourself to be grieved to this degree for your own sin? Do you allow yourself to be grieved to this degree for the sin that is done against you? Do you allow yourself to be grieved for the sins of this world around us? Do you weep over Jerusalem as Jesus did? Our times right now remind us how overwhelming life can be, that life is not in control, in our control to the extent that we think we are. And so we cry out to God. God welcomes our questions. He is not offended by them. He wants to answer them in our lives in very meaningful ways. God answers those questions in Exodus 34, verse 6, in a very straightforward way, in telling Moses who he is. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. There is this foundation of relationship with God that enables us and empowers us to cry out to God. It is a relationship with God that is based on his promises to us, that is based on his covenant with us, that is based on his everlasting and faithful word to us. And so let's explore with the psalmist now why we can cry out to God in the following section, verses 10 through 20. Again, you you see the psalmist's confidence In verses 10 and 11, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High, appealing to God's saving acts of his powerful right hand in the past. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. And then verse 15, more specifically, you with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Again, he's remembering God's past actions of saving and delivering He's appealing to God's character and his covenant with his people. And yet then he launches into this very poetic remembrance. And I'm going to read it again, even though Fred did so, so well. When the water saw you, O God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. Again, the, the deep waters are often um, a symbol, a sign of, of the chaos of this world just like it was in Genesis. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side, the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world, the earth trembled and shook, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. God makes a way for Israel through the Red Sea, though they could not really see him, although they did see him in ways that we don't even today. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. For the psalmist here, he led God's people to remember the powerful saving act of God delivering Israel from the 
oncoming onslaught of the Egyptian army, mad that they had been set free from slavery. For us Christians, the past powerful saving act is the life, ministry, and work on the cross of Jesus. Jesus who is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus who is God transcendent and yet became imminent to us. Jesus who came close to us through taking on flesh, becoming human. Jesus, our great high priest who has experienced every temptation that we have experienced and victorious over all those temptations. Jesus who suffered the shame of the cross and bore the penalty for our sins on that cross. Jesus who died for our sins. Jesus who rose from the dead and conquered death for us. Jesus who sent the Holy Spirit into our hearts as a deposit to the inheritance that we will receive as sons and daughters of God, as the beloved of God. Scriptures tell us of God's faithfulness to his people, to his promises again and again. And Jesus is the fulfillment of those promises. And so we look back on Jesus' past saving work and we remember that Jesus' name means God saves. And so we cry out to God because Jesus. We cry out to God because God saves. And God saves. Jesus' name exemplifies how God leads his people out out of the drowning waters of sin and death through his powerful work on the cross. We cry out to God because Jesus. We are safe to cry out to God because Jesus, because God's safe. We can lament before God in our anger and in our sorrow because we are safe and secure in the presence of God by the blood of Christ. Parents soon learn that if they provide a relatively safe environment for their children, (laughs) that their children will save their most unfettered and free behavior for their parents at home. And that's not always that fun for parents when they have to face the anger and sorrow of their own child. But it's also a sign that the child feels safe and secure in the presence of their parents. Because of Jesus, because God saves, we are safe and secure in the presence of God. We can cry out in anger and sorrow to him. We are in relationship with the living and loving God. We can come crying like a child to God because we know he is big enough. He is secure enough. He is is good enough. He is loving enough to bear our anger and sorrow. And he is powerful enough to save us. We can throw a tantrum like a child because Jesus took any anger God had for our wrongs on the cross. We cry out to God because Jesus. I hope you will take those words to heart as we continue to wrestle as a people living in this world, in a broken world that requires us to lament and remember. But we as Christians can do so in a way that's very different because we are in relationship with a God who is loving, good, and sovereign. That is what gives us a safe and secure place to lament. May the Holy Spirit enable you to do so and bear fruit and healing to your life. Let's pray.